with Joshua Don, uh, Dawson, uh, Spa Sybarite is the short film played at the Environmental Film Festival. It is three minutes long. It's experimental, but it's very it, is, it does have a very much of a narrative, and it's it's about mental health or or physical health within the confines of uh, of the global warming change and climate change. I guess right something I never really thought of until I watched your movie. I'm sure you get that. Are you getting that a lot that people haven't really thought of that kind of the the our our personal health, how it, how the how the climate change is affecting our health? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, well. Nobody really talks about the health aspects to it because we're so kind of like distanced from, you know, the impacts on the human body. We think about when we think about climate change, you you're thinking about the lack of water. You're thinking about wildfires. You're thinking about all of these specific, very environmental catastrophes that don't necessarily impact your human body but they impact our unless lifestyle you're, unless you're in, in in the wakes of a hurricane or you're in a tornado. right but they but they do impact our lifestyle in some yeah. way right and uh even if you're in the wakes of hurricane you know you're it's not until illness becomes a part of your kind of you know like your body temple that you start to kind of take that into consideration but also i think that that's kind of where this this project really started was trying to understand that kind of link and that connection between uh, the human body uh, i'm sorry between climate change and and health um and yeah so this is quite the ambitious project. I'm just curious, like, uh, it's, like I'm sure I know you made films in the past, but what was your experience before entering this film as a filmmaker? Well, so I'm trained as an architect uh, and I'm a designer. So uh, the thing about being an architect and a designer is that, you know, you're often told um, that your skills can can solve problems. But I think that a lot of the world's problems today can't necessarily be solved uh, just in the hands of design alone. Um, so really going one step further and trying to analyze the conditions that we're working under uh, is, you know, really helps distill and kind of, um, you know, it, it helps you sort of probe and distill the kind of implications that, you know, future technologies or climate change, et cetera, can have on the build environment. So this is where I kind of became really interested in storytelling and in the medium of storytelling. And having trained in architecture at USC, I kind of started building sets and uh, props for students in the film school. Uh, and um, that's where I met most of the people in my crew that I work with today. And, you know, we've sort of formed this little tribe and we make movies together. And this particular film is really a, a product of, of that kind of collaboration that I've forged. Is the yeah. was the campus, the architecture campus and the film campus close by? On, yeah, know? they were they were they were at opposite ends of the campus. So like we I would usually interact with people in the cafeteria. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's where I started kind of forging this relationship. And, you know, one day someone came up to me and they were like, hey, you know, you're an architecture student. Do you guys have access to fabrication facilities? We're looking to build a set. And um and then I, uh, I went and I, you know, that's that's where I started understanding, you know, the the real relationship between storytelling and design. But you, like, obviously, you're, I don't know if it's conscious or unconscious, but you're, you seem to be interested in film, uh, like you're, you're reaching out these relationships. So were you thinking, even when you're architecture school, like maybe I should be in the film program or that system? Like, I'm just curious, like, why, like, you're. Like it was, a, was it a conscious effort that you were like, I want to do filmmaking and architecture at the same, like, what were your, what was your thought process when you were in school? Well, I don't necessarily think of them as two separate 
processes. I, I think I think I think that you know a lot of it's how two you separate make programs though, right? They're two separate programs, but you know, like I think the um, I never really wanted to transfer. So I was talking about I'm I was doing a master's degree when I was at USC. So okay. it was a master's in architectures. Uh, it was a master's in advanced architectural studies, which kind of allowed me to sort of uh, you know. Uh, to tweak that program to really uh, allow me to forge my own sort of research agenda okay. where, and one day while I was on set, uh, you know, um, a, a student came up to me and said, you know, this interesting intersection between design technology and storytelling that you so interested, like so fortuitously sort of, well, so fortunately, sorry, uh, stumbled upon is really the genesis of a class taught by a man named Alex McDowell. So Alex McDowell is the production designer of Minority Report and yeah. Fight Club, and he has that massive CV. And he he taught a class where the design of the world essentially preceded the telling of the story or the writing of the script. And it was a class that really brought about, um, you know, brought students from different schools within the USC campus. So I wasn't just surrounded to my left and right by designers or game game designers or yeah. you know filmmakers it was really you know people from the dance school people from the engineering school and i think that's where this kind of interest started so i transferred a couple of my credits there and you know really built that program around storytelling and design and i think that now and right now i'm really using film because i think film is a very interesting medium to really consolidate all of these specific issues that i'm really interested in and really condense them into this linear format that i can then disseminate to an audience uh, such as the audience uh, of your festival yeah well that your film is very much an, an original true original that I, I haven't seen in a long time just to go back to that class that must have been a fast like fa a fascinating class to it to uh to attend did he just do like a like a weekly lecture like what no was no and what's what's interesting about that class is that it was not a traditional lecture uh, it was not a traditional uh you know professor standing at a pulpit kind of lecturing yeah. his students it was a class that really had a round table, surprisingly, where it was almost like, um, you know, like in in the, the kind of, you know, early man images of those cave paintings that you see where they're all sitting around a fire and telling stories. It was very much like that. It was a very kind of uh, nascent and a very like early understanding of what what the real power of storytelling is so we were all sort of equal in the class and he was just one of the people sitting in that round table he would just throw a prompt you know like okay like what about in the year 2036 water is a private commodity yeah build a world around that what about in the year 2020 you know like there's a food uh, food crisis you know build a build a concept around that so that's how most of these sort of thought experiments and exercises would go and we had this very he he had something called a mandala which was a very holistic sort of perspective with which you would attack some of these problems but you would always place a character at the center so each of us would build our own characters and have a day in the life of kind of scenario within this world projected you know 20 30 years into the future why that's that, how did you ask him why he's not working anymore? Because I know that he stopped working like 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's a very, um, he, I, I think he was starting to hit the limits of 
what the traditional model of production was capable of doing. Uh, when he, I think the last film he did was Man of Steel. Yeah, and I remember. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that he, uh, this was post, and, and if you remember very specifically, so he had come off of Watchmen and I think he did a couple of movies after that. And then Zack Snyder came back and asked him to do Man of Steel. But if you um, actually think about you know, superhero movies after Marvel. This was pre-Marvel, really. It was kind of post-Iron Man, but pre the whole like the boom, you know, the big lineage, like, the big, the big boom. Yeah, the Avengers boom, right? Yeah. And I think that um, Man of Steel really set up what was capable uh, of what we were capable with um, when it came to world building, because he really brought on that a lot of VFX artists into the art department. And I remember he tells this beautiful story about how he invented the language of Krypton, you know, the Kryptonian language, and where it started with really the S on, you know, his chest, like the the kind of Superman S. Yeah. And he brought this linguist and they they crafted this whole beautiful language. And the architecture of Krypton essentially was generated from that kind of line work that they were building. And, you know, like at the end of the day, Krypton was 15 minutes and the rest of the movie was just two men bashing each other. That's that's essentially how he describes the movie. You know and what? I think he's right. <laughs> I yeah, and no, he's, he's definitely right. And, and I remember thinking about how, you know, how in-depth and complex the world building was. But, you know, eventually, if you're going to tell a story that's so... Um, you know, like that, that's so like very, that's very kind of, uh, what's the word, a juvenile in a way that it doesn't necessarily credit his work as much as he thought that it would when he stepped out and started working with corporations. There were a lot of corporations that oh, came okay. up to him and said, you know, like this kind of minority report thinking, is is it something that you would possibly be able to do for us? So he's worked with Nike and Boeing, et cetera, where thinking very holistically about how you build a world in the future is very beneficial to companies, you know? Mm -hmm. So Nike wants to see their world and the products that their world lives in as a proper prototype in the year, you know, 2050 or whatever. Yeah. So that becomes a very interesting challenge all of a sudden. And I think he, he really, I think he really hit the limits of traditional uh, production. I think now that virtual production is in the loop, you know, things are starting to look a little bit interesting. That's not what we used in our film. We used the traditional green screen uh, method. Uh, so everything- I was gonna get that to that, but yeah. Okay, everything, so- Everything that you see, everything that she touches or comes in contact with is essentially captured on film, uh, but the or, or is captured as live action. The rest of it is all 3D CGI. Okay. So just to finish uh, the, this this brilliant production designer, like people uh, don't who you Alex McDowell. So he did Minority Report. He did Watchmen, which is like amazing production design, right? Corpse Bride. Right. He yeah. did Fight Club, uh, The Crow. He did. He started with Madonna uh, music videos back in the day, right? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, Cat in a Hat, which is an amazing production design, right? So mm -hmm. the B movie, which is the animation. Um, uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry film. Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. And there's a great, just finish it off. But there's great. It's a great metaphor that Man of Steel was his last film because really they they destroy all the towns, right? So they destroy right. they destroy Superman's like Kansas town. The whole town gets destroyed in the movie, right? And exactly, then yeah. um, where do they live? Where does he live? Where does Superman live? The big city. That whole Small city mill. gets that Small whole mill, city right? gets destroyed yeah. in the movie, right? Yeah, so yeah, everything, yeah. Everything he builds. 
<laughs> in the movie gets destroyed. Gets destroyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a perfect analogy. <laughs> and then, yeah, you know what I mean. And then he, that's his last movie, right? Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. And uh, <laughs> and it's it's kind of it, it's a very interesting. If you actually look at his career path, it's pretty interesting because he yeah. really transitioned from uh, the art the art department to actually become more like a kind of you know futuristic architecture office because yeah. he brought a bunch of students that were working in their master's programs with animation technology to create these sort of 3D geometry ge yeah. 3D geometric forms that weren't necessarily possible with you know like hand drafting and but the the art department essentially was still doing a lot of hand drafting work and then as soon as he brought the computer in and he brought the tools that came with the computer in he brought those students as well into the art department and i right. i'm not sure i think there is something about you know like getting into the sort of weeds and specificity of, uh, of, of thinking about unionization and, you know, yeah. like all of that that comes with an art department, with the art directors. Yeah, though. it's very much, a, it's political, it's very bringing them in. Too. Yeah, bringing them in was, was, very, was very tough. And he was sort of, he spearheaded that. And Minority Report was the first film that actually did that. And, you know, also this concept of previs, which is what we used in, in our film as well, where you finish making the entire movie almost as an animation, all of your lens choices, your camera moves, all of that are sort of pre-built into your previs animatic. And then all you're left doing on set after that is just pointing and telling people what to do. Like they already know what the sort of agenda of that yeah. shoot day is going to be. This is very much just like how you would plan and plan a building or do architecture in a way. Yeah, you're fascinating me. It's it's so it's so interesting the what, what you're describing here. So and also too, like he he like two innovative directors, obviously Spielberg did he work with a couple of times, and then and then uh, Fincher, right? So and then yeah. Zack Snyder as well. So he's got some interesting directors that he worked with. All right, so we, that, it's, I found that fascinating. I appreciate your time. Of course, with that. yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, so um, your your short film. So it's three minutes long. So I'm just curious. Let's take take me through the process. So. It's one one actor, so it's uh, Kyla. Kyla. So where Kyla did you find, Yeah. So yeah. where did you just just first off, where did you find her? Like because she's perfectly so, casted. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, it's funny because we we were going to do a short film before this called Denervation uh, that was supposed to be live action, but didn't happen because of COVID. And you know, we were just uh, you know we went through the audition process with a couple of people and. Uh, and she just, you know, stood out. She, among everybody that we auditioned for that film, she was just, you know, the most personable. And, and we thought, you know, we, irrespective of whether we cast her for that movie or not, you know, I knew at some point that I was going to work with her in the future. So when this project came along, uh, you know, I finished sort of designing the world and I finished building everything and I was kind of ready to go with the, um, with, with production. And all of a sudden, I was like, okay, who am I going to cast for this? And, you know, like Kyla immediately kind of came to mind. And, um, yeah, I, I just gave her a call and she was completely ready to do it. Yeah. Because it's not an easy role, right? Because it's not an easy role. And this is surprisingly, this is her first time with green screen, uh, with the experience of green screen, which is kind of crazy if you think about it, because 
you not only have to sort of remember your remarks, you're not, you don't have dialogue and, you know, you have to project from your imagination into this void, yeah. really. And it's, it's incredible. All she has is these little like markers and sticks and, <laughs> and she has to, and, you know, most of the sets that we were designing, you know, they were built to about 50%, but, you know, that's still not enough for you to understand blocking and, you know, like the kind of spatial aspect of everything. Yeah. But I think, that she was very uh she was very professional and she completely you know I had no problem with her and you know for being a director you know on on set when an actor is able to take care of like you know 80 percent 90 percent of of you know the performance aspect of it and kind of understands that okay he's got a whole bunch of technical things that he has to figure out too yeah. while he's directing like that was it's a pleasure to work with an actor like that and yeah. also too she's not working with anybody else right she's not I, she's not no. there's no energy that she's feeding from feeding right? off of yeah, there's no yeah. dialogue that's kind yeah. of prompting her emotional kind of you know a way of going about things and i think that that's yeah it's kind of brilliant what she did Okay, so your film, first 20 seconds, you're kind of establishing this overwhelm, overwhelming sensation character with the lights yeah. nicely done. I'm assuming that's all natural. That's a natural That's shoot. That's natural. That's the white psych. So we, we our set had a white psych and a, a green screen. So we put, we lit the white psych first, you know, and kind of had a projector. Everything that you see mapped on her are all IPCC climate change reports. Yeah. So you're actually seeing weather patterns. You're seeing the kind of transition that the weather, that, you know, kind of, climate change has had on these sort of NASA generated maps. And that's what's being projected on her. And she goes through this sort of climate anxiety almost, uh, or eco anxiety, as they call it these days, uh, to the to almost her breaking point. And then we lead into how she we cut to her walking into the spa. So she goes into this to this futuristic spa. That's what, yeah. that, that's what you call it, right? So you exactly. created you created this spa, correct? Exactly. Yes, I, I designed it from scratch. Like everything about it, like all of the features, you know, every single nook, cranny, every detail is created from scratch. Like it's modeled from scratch. So she's entering the spa, and then you're in like where is she in some sort of sand? Yeah, she's she's in this sort of you know desertified area. You know, it's 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 kind of this. Um, you, you could take it to be, you know, like a, like a kind of, you know, degraded future, or you could take it to be Palm Springs, you know, yeah. like you could take it to be Joshua Tree, essentially. But somewhere in the future that like undisclosed. This happens. Contact, you know? Un undisclosed contact. We don't really give it a date because, yeah. you know, it's a near, we want it to seem grounded and real. Uh, and at the same time, sometimes when you push too far into the future, it really takes you away and people start to think of it as science fiction, yeah. but we wanted it to seem like this could happen tomorrow. Really. That's an interesting point you just made because it's because we, when we're watching the film, it's like, this makes sense to us as a viewer. We're like in 2023, right. We're like, yeah, I can see this. I can see this world. Right. Yeah. But you, like you said, but it's not like, it's something that, but at the same time, it's like, it's not there yet. We haven't seen this world yet, but we, we believe that it exists. Exactly. And all of the all and all of the technology that we've used in the film as well, whether it's kind of these bathing pods or IV drips or kind of a virtual reality cave, yeah. uh, hydroponic systems, these are all technologies of today. They're just being repackaged and presented as sort of climate specific treatment. That's all. Yeah. So then she then you she's like in a kind of like a you know some sand shower or sand bath. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a bath. It's a it's a it's a pretty traditional kind of like a uh, bath that uh, you know it takes its inspiration from like hammams and and all of these turkish baths that exist 
Um, and you know, she's got this little digital meter that well, actually, if you if you sort of go before that, she she checks in. She's at the check-in counter. Yeah. Now the check-in counter is interesting because with a single swipe, she's able it's able to parse the location that she comes from. You see that she comes kind of from Glendale and immediately sort of like takes the 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 climatic condition of that region and understands in combination with her electronic medical records what the specific treatments are supposed to be in the spa that she's supposed to go through. And that's a very important component that then leads into the um the the bath. Because if you actually think about it, and I'm I know we're going over a little bit, but I just want to sort of talk a little bit about how you know, like there's an abundance of data that's being accumulated right now with uh, Apple Watches and Fitbits, et cetera, that, you know, can very easily be weaponized by companies to ask you to come into a kind of, uh, to 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 a facility that isn't necessarily always going to be an emergency, but just because their revenue is sort of falling down, they're going to yeah. kind of force you to do that. And it's sort of a weaponization of that data in a way. So then, okay. So then, she goes into like some sort of therapy session. That's right. She goes into she goes into a therapy session. One of the therapy uh, mm -hmm. sessions are the IV drip facility. You know, kind of like hydration yeah. therapy, and then she moves into a therapy session where she's building from her memory a house that has been burnt down due to wildfires. And, and that's a, obviously that's grabs the the average viewer's attention. That 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 scene right there, and it's like, whoa. Yeah. Okay, so like this is. This is a pretty unique film that you're creating here. And so so she, while she's acting like from the shower to the IV drip, this is all, everything's green screen. So basically- Everything's green screen. Everything is green screen. It's all green screen. So you're just transporting, in the layman sense, you're just transporting her performance onto the computer images that you created on the computer. Exactly. Yeah. But we we already knew, like we had listed the shots. We knew what the shots were going to be and so everything. Framed, so she's framed perfectly. Yeah. She's framed perfectly where she needs to be. And also working with my makeup artist, you know, like I had to tell her that this is the point because we weren't shooting, um, you know, kind of in order of the sequence in the film. Of course, yeah. We were So, you know, I had to kind of like work with my makeup artist to make sure that, you know, at each scene, we have to get the makeup to look right because, you know, as we have to show that transition of being rejuvenated right from the beginning all the way to the end. Yeah. And we had to make sure that we were doing that accordingly. So you see her hair wet because she's come from the shower, et cetera. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's, it's all of that. And then you're, you're also moving the camera too, right? While you're yes. shooting her. Yeah. 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 When we're shooting, we're definitely moving the camera and tracking that is sometimes going to be a nightmare. <laughs> I was going to say that's that like, you're making it even more difficult for yourself because you're moving the camera and then you got to transport her onto the green screen. Yeah. 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 No, it's not easy. We yeah. we had like a, we almost every shot is a, I, like a dolly shot or some of them are handhelds, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really, com it's really complicated. Yeah, you, you made things very, very difficult for yourself, but it obviously makes a very beautiful film that you made. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Let's, What's the Cluster 07? Oh, the Cluster 07 is a set of, <laughs> um, well, they're a set of hydroponic systems, right? Like, so you have one, two, three, four, five. Cluster 07 is where she was asked to go because that's specific to her nutritional accessibility. Okay. So that's hydroponic, kind of crop-based crop hydroponics yeah. where, you know, low crop yield in her area requires her to kind of supplemented with that and you got to and people are going to wonder like this is this is an economic thing in the future where like only the rich can do this absolutely i think that a lot of the uh 
you know, like wellness in general is marketed very much to the most affluent and, uh, yeah. you know, to the most affluent interests in society, right? And wellness, unlike uh, pharmaceuticals, et cetera, like they don't necessarily have, F require FDA approvals or, you know, have to go through anything that's scientific. So they can kind of, their marketing can ebb and flow with whatever the most dominant uh, kind of interests of their target market is. Yeah, and it's still needs to get FDA to approval, but I'm sure there's like. Well, it's, yeah. it, does it? I mean, Goop doesn't necessarily need FDA approval if you actually think about it. Like Gwyneth Paltrow's company, you know, surpasses that. So in many in many ways, like even I'm not I'm not necessarily sure if IV drips are FDA approved. You know, like I think that there is this kind of sense that um, a lot of the treatments, you know, they they're just treatments that a lot of times borrow also from other cultures, you know, sure. like you're borrowing from like Indian culture and traditional yeah. culture. And they're, and, they're and stealing from the Eastern cult. Like the they're, they're very much appropriating all of that and then yeah. bringing, bringing that into what they're kind of packaging and selling mostly to like people that can afford them completely ignoring, you know, like the people who are most impacted by the effects of climate change and those yeah. that have contributed the least to climate change. Well, yeah, they're, yeah. Like I think there's hypocrisy and irony in, in America in many ways. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it's fun to explore that through through these films as well because you know you, you what what is the angle that you're taking uh you know this is sort of a three-minute uh, fictional ad really for for a company you know how do people sort of respond to it uh you know it you, even with the sort of scripting of how you're doing it you don't want to be overly spoofy you don't want to be satirical you want to be uh you want to be someone who's making people think you know is this a real ad like is this a real place and yeah. and that's and that kind of level of grounding was really important to what we were doing. You know, for the longest period of time, I didn't have that end title kind of displaying that this was disaster capitalism. Like when I would show it to people, they'd be like, "Oh, so are you are you suggesting that this is the kind of answer to you know climate sickness?" And then I realized, no, no, this is a, this is a critique. You so needed to, yeah, to, you needed to have that. So basically, really you have. You have People don't know people. You have disaster capitalism, uh, the exploitation of a crisis for private profit, right? That's correct. That's yes. how you end the film. So yeah, because yeah, because I think we need that as an audience because you you make things so beautiful and so nice and so precise. You don't people don't know for sure if it's a commentary on something or are they just like you're like this is the beautiful world that we live in in the future, right? Yeah, so, yeah, no, for sure, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's an it's an amazing three minute film. It's like um, so you you right now you are an architect, like you're. Uh, yeah. Architect. So um, well, I don't necessarily work with buildings. I um, my my role is kind of uh, complex because I work with a huge um, infrastructure company um, where we sort of design the the cities of the future. It's the very same skills that I apply toward my filmmaking. My filmmaking, I like to think of it as a critical practice. It's a way in which I'm able to sort of take all of the stuff that I'm learning in the real world by working at this company, yeah. bring it and explore ideas through cinema and world building. And when I kind of use those same tools to sort of solve problems in the real world, a lot of the kind of uh, cities that we're building, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, transit-oriented development, et cetera, they're not going to be happening in my lifetime. They're going to be happening, you know, like 40 years into the future if you're designing an entire city, right? Or yeah. maybe even longer than that. 
And uh, sometimes, you know, when you're trying to explain to like the mayor of a city how this works or a commercial developer, you have to really design that world in which this is going to sit and exist. So that's essentially what my role is. It's to try to kind of envision a future where these pro where these sort of services that we're providing will exist. So that's it's it's a very unique, it's a very niche job. Most people, you know, yeah. it's it's kind of difficult to sort of comprehend but yeah that's that's what i do i used to work as an architect uh, i used to sort of do traditional kind of like drawings yeah. and drafting for commercial buildings but i think the only thing that that really helped me with is being more meticulous in the way i kind of structure and design my films because you know like the set and the site they're too like they're almost parallel to each other so you're like people, I want people to know that you're very young. You're relatively extremely young. So you have your whole future ahead of you. Yeah, I'm, I'm 32. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm like extremely That's young. young. That's young. <laughs> okay, well. No, we'll meaning from, from in the context of what you've accomplished so far. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, I've just been extremely fortunate. Yeah. Thank you. Well, and I'm sure you're a hard worker too. And you got to, and you're, you're, you, you have a drive. I think you want to make the world, not to sound like wanky or cliche, but I think you want to make the world a better place. That's why I you're do. making films like this. That's very much true. Yeah, it's it's really it's really all about that at the end of the day. At the end of the day, you know, someone recently asked me, what do you consider success? Is it like an award at a film festival or, you know, a publication? Really, it's if people can watch my films and really start to think about um the future in a different way or through a different perspective, I think that 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 then I would have I, I would consider that to be success you know like if somebody is like oh I shouldn't waste water in the shower this morning for too long so that's your next film right shower. well yeah well the next film that I'm working on is is very much centered uh, around Los Angeles and drought you know if yeah. you think about all of the rain that Los Angeles has been having recently less than 50 percent of it has been captured and you know inches and inches of it are just flowing into the Pacific Ocean so how do we as designers uh, really design an infrastructure for the city um, that is able to uh, kind of manage uh, the the resources uh, that we we have to work with yeah. and uh, sometimes you know most of the kind of approaches that we have are very much here's the solution here let's engineer this right but i don't think that we need to do a problem solving exercise we need to do more of a problem finding exercise so how do we generate enough number of questions that we can ask before we start putting pen to paper and uh, my my work my my new project is essentially going to explore that it's going to use uh you know that the bradbury building as a sort of site to extrapolate yeah. into the future because well just simply because the bradbury building has been so steeped in science fiction uh you know starting with blade runner etc so using that building transforming it into a traditional indian step well which is my kind of historical and uh something that i've you know known to no. be an efficient water hydro to be an of a hydro an efficient hydraulic machine essentially so um using that looking at the past trying to understand not only how water histories were written but also how water is um uh, you know how water is controlled by the state in the future yeah. all of that is kind of going to generate an interesting scenario and it's going to be explored through a film noir 
a futuristic Chinatown. That's what Chinatown was all about. Water, it, it's right? a, yeah, it's definitely a Chinatown mixed with Blade <laughs> Runner kind of question. Yeah. It it's it centers around a protagonist who is a um, Indian American detective. That so is, it's, a, it's a gonna be it's gonna be a narrative film. It's gonna oh be- most definitely it's 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 a it's a story. It's it's a it's about an Indian American detective that kind of explores uh, the the uh like a murder that's taken place yeah. in in the building it's essentially very much centered around it, it's it's an homage to chinatown and blade runner really yeah and the kind of long legacy of the blade runner being used in film noir uh in film noir films really uh you know whether that's m or um what's what's the most recent one that was in i don't remember but uh, yeah it's it's it has this long kind of oh du- i think it was in double in- indemnity etc okay. so it kind of like takes that as a setting projects it into the future as a step well there's a murder that takes place and everything sort of centers around around that so you're really exploring the various kind of classes yeah. that are going to be accommodating this kind of experimental township of a Bradbury Stepwell. So if you're in a if you're in a, in a producer's office in Hollywood, it's like you're bringing you're bringing the past to the future in a sense, right? Like you're yeah 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 you're telling a future yeah, yeah. story, but then you're using past elements to kind of yeah. It's like ex mach, you know, like Hollywood loves to do this thing yeah. where they take a future and it's like it's an ex machina meets yeah. Chinatown or something like that. <laughs> from just you're an architect, so basically from an architectural standpoint, LA is the weirdest city ever built because it's like every city in the world, every big city in the world is based on some big body of water and then it's built yeah. through the, you know what I mean? Yeah, LA this is was, kind this of is like a city that shouldn't have existed, essentially. Yeah. It's a it's a city that's built in the middle of a desert. And, it it and doesn't it make any sense, right? It doesn't make any sense, no. which is what which is also like which is something I love about it because it's so weird and it's so experimental in a way. And it gives it allows you to ha- make this city really a test bed to experiment ideas. But at the same time, it produces a very unique set of problems that I think a lot of other cities in the world can can kind of learn from, you know? Yeah. So uh, I won't keep you for very long. I find, it, I find you fascinating. So I can't wait to see what you do next. I'm not just saying that. What did oh, you think you. about the our audience? Because we send you the audience feedback video of your film. I'm just curious what you thought of what they had to say about your film. Um, I thought that it was very poignant what they said. I thought it res. Uh, you know, first of all, I have to say I was really surprised to have received that video. And when I did and I watched it, I was I was really it it I was sort of overwhelmed with the fact that they actually understood what I was trying to accomplish with this film which, you know, isn't always necessarily the case, right? Like, you don't always have a test audience or, you know, an audience that you can feed back of from, especially in this kind of virtual format. Mm-hmm. Most of the, what you get in a virtual format is like a review that you're reading online or like a festival kind of writing a synopsis of your film. And sometimes, you know, you have Discord and other platforms where, you know, some of the viewers of your film will log in and they'll write comments. Uh, but 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 this felt real this felt like there's an actual human being behind you know the films that i'm making and they're sort of watching and taking in and i thought that it was a very very interesting format i i can't i can't wait to see how this might start to you know disrupt the 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 kind of virtual festival model in a way because a lot of people aren't necessarily it's one of the things that i missed actually you know especially recently when film festivals had to pivot due to COVID. Yeah. It's one of the things I missed was being able to like hear real people talk sure. about your film. Yeah. 
that's the seed of our like that's a, that's where the seed comes brilliant. from. Brilliant. Like, yeah, yeah, that's that's really brilliant. Yeah. yeah, it was great. All right, man. Like like I said, you're you're on to something. So I wish you the ultimate best uh, with this film. It's a, a and and I can't wait to see what you do. You got. I'm sure you have many films ahead of you, and uh, maybe you can get your that your production designer out of retirement, and you can do uh, you can do your design your film. Oh well, that's that's <laughs> unlikely. <laughs> but, but he's yeah, going to come out of retirement. He is going to do a film. I guarantee. I, you. They always he, do. They yeah, I mean, I think you know he's been a mentor, and you know yeah. he's been a huge like kind of influence on my career and on my yeah. life. And um, yeah, I, I always, I'm always indebted to what he's sort of taught me and what I've learned from him. Yeah, no, because you guys are great minds, two great minds. It's usually it can make for magic, it can make from like maybe a little bit of a clashing, but at the same time, it can make from something brilliant. So yeah, yeah, well, yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> I'm, right. I'm just throwing it up because they always they always come back, right? Even Terrence Malick came. Well, back. you know what's funny is that he actually I know we're running out of time, but he actually was offered a chance to work on um, I think this was the third Star Wars movie, and uh, with Colin Trevorrow when they were doing something interesting, and then as soon as I think. Colin Trevorrow dropped he dropped as well because mm -hmm. you know he said if if someone else is being and I think part of that is due to Disney's kind of like hand in yeah. in, in the films and you know he's he's a visionary and so is actually Colin Trevorrow and you know you have to let artists be artists and I would have I really wish I would have I would have been able to see Colin Trevorrow's Netflix. That that's the way you guys. Netflix leaves you guys alone. That's basically what's going to happen. Uh, that's what I hear, but I hear they're also very dominated by algorithms. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, that that it's very true because of their because of their stock. They're always they're always and uh, very analytical about their stock. But at the same time, they they you're right. I don't know. I don't know the whole story, but I think that, that I've been told by many that they leave they leave you alone. Yeah, well, I just hope the film. It's really about they let they let you make the film, and then how they're going to. How they're going to sell it on their platform has to do with the algorithm because well, they can yeah. bury films right so yeah yeah I well think my dream my dream i'm and i'm just throwing it out yeah. there is for a24 to fund one of my ideas yeah. that's my dream and i think they're the right production company these days for doing anything visionary and innovative, i think you're so. on your way so basically okay. like just keep keep building keep building your profile and you're on your way all right man okay. thank you so much i can't wait thank to talk you. to you again and of I wish course you the film. yeah thank you so much all right Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, schlemiel, schlemizel.